series is called Grace Among Us, and we are back for this after Christmas service on this special day to finish out the series we've been in uh, already for three weeks, and as we finish it up, let's kind of review what we've covered. First, we ask the question, is grace asleep? And then in Luke chapter 1, we saw grace awakens. Last Sunday, we saw in Luke chapter 2, grace arrives. Yeah, today we're headed back to Luke chapter 2 as we close it out with Grace Adored. An amazing series of events took place at the temple when Jesus was eight days old. Yeah, so we're going to look once again this morning at Luke chapter 2, so head that direction. And remember, as I mentioned, that all of our midweek ministries are off this week for the holidays. Uh, next Sunday, regular services with Sunday school at 9.30, family worship at 11, and start the year off with being there for both of those. We all need to be students of the Word of God, and we especially need to make sure that our children are being given important truths from God's Word that will shape their lives. We do have some adult Bible study classes that will either be starting or restarting in the month of January. Uh, right in uh, this room, we have a class called Beginnings. It is a verse-by-verse in-depth study of the book of Genesis, and we're at Genesis chapter 7 right now. Uh, we have a topical Bible study that rotates topics. That's in the first classroom down the hall. Uh, we have a ladies' class in the library, uh, a senior saints group that is in the second room down the hall, and uh, then we have a, a new verse-by-verse study uh, a precept study, if you've ever done precepts, uh, that will be starting with the book of John, and we'll let you know about that. That's coming in January. Uh, I will let you know up front, that is an in-depth, hard work study. Uh, you will be doing homework every day uh, to be in the class, but it would be well worth it because of the investment that you put into God's Word. And so we'll give you the information on that. We also have Next Steps classes coming up again on the evening of January 16th, and so make sure you sign up for Next Step classes at servechurch.org. Here we go, Luke chapter 2 now, verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the customs of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which are spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed." And there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. 
She was of great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Now, this uh, is one of my favorite passages of Scripture uh, in all of the Bible because it shows us uh, how Simeon and Anna were so close to God that they recognized the appearance of Christ in real time. Uh, they knew in the moment that this was the Messiah. And it's unbelievable how quickly they processed this through their faith, how blessed they were uh, for the Spirit to lead them to this interaction. Uh, here they are in the temple, and in a moment they know that this is the Lord's Christ. Uh, have you ever thought you saw somebody famous before, uh, maybe in an airport or a store or traffic, and it usually takes a minute for you to notice, and uh, it might not even really notice it until somebody whispers it to you. Uh, one night several years ago, Amy and I were flying back from a meeting in Los Angeles, and we got the late night flight, and we were getting ready to board the flight, and Amy whispers to me, uh, that looks like somebody famous that I've seen before. And she kind of nods her head like, you know, she always does these signals, and I still, I still don't read them always the right way. And like a lot of times she whispers something to me, and then I say, what? And she says, I'm whispering for a reason. Like, oh, yeah, okay, whispering for a reason. Now I get it. Um, so I, I glanced over, and, and the person, like, maybe I've seen this person before. It appeared to be somewhat like this 90s comedian uh, that hadn't really been around for a long, long time. But this guy looked rough. He was wearing sweatpants and... Uh, his, not that there's anything wrong with sweatpants, he's just kind of dirty looking, grungy looking, his hair was uncombed, and I, I thought, surely it's not that guy, unless life has really hit him upside the head lately. And, uh, but anyway, so I grabbed my phone, and I looked on my phone to see if he had any current uh, tours going on, and sure enough, he was headed to Boise to do a show the next day, and that's why he was at our gate. But it took quite a while for me to figure out even this C-list celebrity. Now, imagine in the days before there was any celebrity recognition, okay? No tabloids, no entertainment media, no social media. Now, you don't know what the Messiah is even supposed to look like. His physical form is being described by Isaiah as he has no form or comeliness. He's just going to be a guy. And they don't even really know what he's supposed to look like. And yet, both Simeon and Anna were led by the Spirit of God to recognize and worship the Christ child. Joseph and Mary are standing there looking on thinking, whoa, if what they're saying is true, uh, we're going to have a really interesting life. And you can see them looking on here in the passage. Now, we're going to go through the passage today, and our, our title, once again, Grace Adored. And let's start into your notes. The notes are in your bulletin. They're also on the YouVersion app. Let's talk first about the assurance of peace. 
the assurance of peace. Look back again to verse 28. Then Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Simeon was so satisfied with the arrival of Messiah to the earth that his soul was at rest. He, God, I've seen your salvation. I'm ready to go. And this is really the perfect picture for people in all generations to understand because Jesus offers that same peace to the people of every age who find their security in Christ. And when you are secure in Christ, you will have soul rest that is unexplainable. And here he has soul rest. His heart, his soul, everything about him is at peace. You would be amazed at how many people don't have soul rest. People who've been going to church for decades. People who have labeled themselves as believers for years don't have that soul rest. And it's so intriguing that he has here the assurance of peace. Years ago, I was out doing some door-to-door calls in West Boise. And Amy and I had a church plant in Garden City for eight and a half years before we came to Centennial in 2006. And one of our older boys was with me that morning. They're just little guys back then. And we were inviting people to church and and this older lady answered the door, and I started talking to her, and, and she assured me right away that she's part of a church, and she doesn't need anything that I have, and she doesn't want any uh, invites or tracks or anything. And, and so through the conversation, uh, you know, I was talking to her, just getting some feedback from her, and I understood that she was LDS. Well, the Holy Spirit nudged me to dig just a little deeper And so I asked her this. I said, when you leave this life, how sure are you that you have eternal life coming afterward? What percentage level would would it be? Are you 30% sure or or 70 or 50, 90? What what would it be? And she said, well, I think I'm about 70%. And so I said, well, well, what do you base that assurance on? What gives you that 70% level of security? And she said, well, I've gone to church my whole life. I've kept all the rules. I've been a good person. And, of course, those of us who know the Scriptures know that that's not how you get to heaven. But I was trying to be kind to her. And so I said, well, what if God has told us in his word that we can know for certain, like 100% for sure, that we have eternal life? Would you want to know about that? And she spoke to me some of the saddest words that I've ever heard. She said, I've been doing it this way my whole life. There's no reason to change now. And so I compassionately said to her, if your belief system has a flaw in it, would you want to know about it? And she said, no, it's been in my family for many generations, and I'm sticking with what I have, and goodbye. You know, she put her security for eternal life in a religion. And religion can't give anyone 
the assurance of eternal life, right? Church can't give anyone the assurance of eternal life. There's no work you can do that can give you the assurance of eternal life. And, and so what about you as you're sitting here this morning? Do you have soul rest? How sure are you that you have eternal life? And what do you base that assurance on? I love the promise in 1 John 5.13. It says that ye may know that ye have eternal life. That ye may know that ye have eternal life. You don't have to wonder about it. You don't have to wait till the proverbial judgment day or wait till you stand before St. Peter at the gate, as they always say. Uh, by the way, that's not found in Scripture anywhere. Uh, you're either absent from the body and present with the Lord, or you're absent from the body and you're in everlasting punishment. But uh, when you think of God's Word, He says that we can know. Uh, when I was a little kid, I was probably seven or eight, we used to have this uh, preacher that come through every year, and he'd do like a little mini Bible conference, and Bible conferences were really big back then, and yeah, his name was Gil Massengill, and, and Gil had a lisp, and so all of his, F, his, all of his S's had a, the, kind of that lisp sound, he, I'm Gil Massengill, and, uh, and uh, so Gil... Uh, he had this famous sermon that he would preach from 1 John 5.13, and he would tell the story of when he trusted Christ as a Savior, and uh, then he would ask this question. He'd say, uh, do you know uh, that you know uh, that you know that you know uh, that you know that you know that you know uh, that you know that you've been born again? They're like, yeah, I got it the first time. Uh, but, but it's a good question, and it's important for us to, to really be based in God's promises for soul rest. You cannot have soul rest on an if. You cannot have soul rest on a maybe. You can't have soul rest on a perhaps. But you can have soul rest on Jesus who said, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. That's some serious soul rest, and that's what Simeon had. He says, God, now you can take me. Uh, I've got soul rest. I've seen your salvation. Let's talk about the acceptance of light. The acceptance of light. We talked about the silent years in week one of the series, and Ed Simeon had lived his entire life up to this point in a period of silence and darkness as people around him uh, were waiting for the political salvation of their land. And as Simeon, he was waiting for spiritual salvation. By the way, did you know there's never been a political answer to the problems of this world? And there never will be, right? There's not going to be. There's nobody we can elect who's going to solve the problems of this world. There's no group of people we can elect who will solve the problems of this world. There's no party, whether it's an R or a D or an I or an L or whatever it is. The only answer to the problems of this world is a spiritual answer. And so Simeon knew this, and as a student of the Word, he knew that the people who had been walking in darkness for centuries now had the opportunity for light. Isaiah 9-2, we covered the first week of the series, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Simeon was certain that the light had arrived. And certainty in the light of the world belongs to those who watch and wait for his coming. Simeon was watching and waiting for the first coming of Jesus. In the age of grace, we're watching and waiting for the second coming of Jesus. There's no better person to explain to us uh, what that means than Jesus himself. I want you to look over to Luke chapter 12, and let's see what Jesus says about this, about watching and waiting. Watching and waiting, watching and waiting. Luke chapter 12, verse number 35. Jesus said, let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. And ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, that they may open unto him immediately. Right? Immediately. Right? It, that's an important word. How many of you at your house have ever thought, I wonder why I called my kids and they didn't come yet? And then I called them again and they still didn't come. And then I called them again and they still didn't come. And finally, somebody had to get loud or somebody had to go after them. Well, why didn't you come the first time you were called? Oh, well, I heard you, but I didn't know you needed me. At our house, the deal is this. If you heard it, you're responsible for it. Like, if you heard your name, you better get there, right? And it, that's probably what, how it was in, in a lot of your houses, too. But uh, Jesus said they need to open the door immediately. Uh, he keeps going, blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet, and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch, or come in the third watch, and find them so, blessed are those servants. At this know that if the goodman of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched, and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when you think not. Wow, this is an important passage. Uh, I love the wording about grace in Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And then verse 13 says this, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, a simple question for us today. Are we watching and waiting for the Savior? Or have we gotten distracted by this present world? So wrapped up in the things of life that we won't be ready. Simeon spent his life watching and waiting. What a man of faith this is. I look forward to meeting him in heaven. Uh, but there's also a woman of faith in the passage. Sister Anna, and if you do the math given to us here in verses 36 and 37 in Luke 2, Anna seems to have been over 100 years uh, old at the time when life expectancy was much, much lower. Uh, here's the story. She'd gotten married 
probably when she was 15 or 16, which was common back then. Uh, she'd been married for seven years. Then her husband had died, and now she'd been a widow for 84 years. Now, that adds up to around 106, 107 years old. And it appears that Anna lived in one of the side chambers off the temple court, and there she lived and very meagerly and devoted her entire life to intercessory prayer, fasting and praying. And in the Luke 2 story, we see two things about Anna's life. So first of all, let's talk about the avenue to gratitude. The avenue to gratitude. Even though we don't know uh, Simeon's age, it seems evident that Anna had been watching even longer than Simeon had. Now let's see what happens in verse 38. Uh, it said, in that instant, in that instant, i got to turn back there. I want to get the wording with you right here. Luke chapter 2, verse number 38, she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise. The instant that she met Christ, she discovered that he had been worth the wait. She'd been waiting for him her whole life. She's 106, 107 years old, and she discovered he had been worth the wait. And she gave thanks. And what a powerful picture of faith this is. When you think of things that are worth the wait, you know, there just aren't many that rate high enough to mention. Right? You've waited an hour before to get a restaurant table. And then after you're done eating, you said something like, we should have just gone to McDonald's, right? Because we waited all that time, we paid all that money, and then the food just wasn't up to par. Uh, we were in Branson, Missouri once with the kids, and we waited for three hours to get into Lambert's. And Lambert's is this famous restaurant, the home of the throwed rolls. They actually take hot rolls out of the oven, and they throw them at you from across the room, and you try to catch it. And if you miss it, it just goes on the floor. Or it's Missouri, so they just pick it up and eat it. So, um, but we, we waited for three hours, and it was a fun experience. But I promise you, I won't be waiting three hours to go there again. Okay? It was nice, but it wasn't worth that wait. Uh, you waited 12 or 13 years of school to get to graduation, some even longer than that. But, but would you want to go back through the whole thing just to get that piece of paper again? Right? Remember all those years you waited to go to Disneyland for the first time? And you got there and found out after a couple funnel cakes and a twirly ride that the expectations may have slightly outmatched the reality? That dream vacation, that toy that you couldn't live without, that money pit of a house that you bought, we have so many things that we wait for that aren't worth the wait. By the way, if they aren't worth the wait, then they for sure aren't worth throwing it on a credit card and paying for it after the letdown, right? At least when you pay for it up front, you get let down. You only get let down once. When you pay for it on credit, you get let down again and again and again and again and again for years and years and years. Just some free advice over the holidays. So uh, some people, uh, there are people who wait for years 
to marry the right person, only to find out that things aren't so right. And so then they marry another right person, and another right person, and they still haven't found the right person. Uh, I'll say that some people kept telling me that I was going to be a bachelor forever, my mother, uh, because I was waiting for the right girl. He's like, you're in your last year of college, son. If you don't find the girl, you may never find one. I was only 22 years old. But, uh, but when uh, I was about that age, she finally arrived, and we got married. And, uh, and Amy was just 18, just a baby. It's been 27 years, <clears throat> and that decision has been worth it, for me anyway. Hopefully for her, too. You can ask her afterward. There's, there's no way I could do <clears throat> all that I'm supposed to do without that lady in my life. Yeah, I've been around churches for decades, and I promise you that our pastor's wife here at Centennial is the cream of the crop. She is completely dedicated to the mission of the local church, and she balances that with being a dedicated wife and a consistent mother, and she's as human as the rest of us, but her passion is always pointed in the right direction. And I'll tell you, she's worth the wait. Uh, maybe you're a mom. <clears throat> mom, you may have thought that that pregnancy would never be over. Every week seemed like a month. Every day seemed like a week. The last day seemed like a year. But that moment your precious child moved from the womb to the world made those entire nine months of waiting totally worth it. Now, hopefully, those thoughts are still the same through the terrible twos and the fidgety fours and the nerd stage and the hormone stage and the rebellious stage. Uh, but, you know, there's one thing that I know for certain is going to be worth the wait for every single believer, and that's when we see Christ. It's going to be, it's most assuredly going to be. Even if there's a spouse who's disappointed you or a kid who's disappointed you, waiting for Jesus and seeing Jesus will never disappoint anyone. There's an old song that says it so well, written by Esther Kerr-Ristow. Uh, it says this, oft times the days seem long. Our trials hard to bear. We're tempted to complain, to murmur and despair. But Christ will soon appear to catch his bride away, all tears forever over in God's eternal day. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase, so bravely run the race till we see Christ. I love that old song. It's so true. Yeah, sometimes you go through a long week. Sometimes you go through a long month. Sometimes you just have a horrible year. And maybe 2021 wasn't your finest hour. Maybe it's not the best year you've ever had. That You wanted it to be and you hoped it would be, but something set it back. But I tell you this. Seeing Jesus is going to make everything worth it all. Everything. And uh, th this life, it's going to be so short compared to eternity. And uh, spending time with Christ, 
And Anna would tell you that Jesus was worth the wait. He was both the path and the prize. He is the way to God. And also, uh, more than worthy of the worship we offer. Paul said this so powerfully in Philippians 3. What things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. And Jesus is worth it all. He's not just your ticket to heaven. He's the reason heaven is heaven. Uh, Jesus will be what makes it heaven for me. There is no heaven without Jesus. And uh, we said earlier, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Now let's go back to Luke 2. Yeah, don't miss this last one, the access for redemption. The access for redemption. Look what it says at the end of Luke 2.38. She gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Redemption. Think about that word, redemption. We all need it. We are born under condemnation, in bondage to sin and death. When you were little, you never had to be taught how to lie or how to steal or how to be unkind or how to say, mine, 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 mine. Nobody ever had to teach you that. Somehow you came up with it all on your own. Right? You never had to be taught when your mom and dad said, hey, don't eat any more cookies, and you just you started welling up and crying and uh, gave them the worst face in the world, like they were just trying to ruin your life. They're just trying to ruin your life. No more ice cream. Or, or you say, I want you to share that toy. No! Right? You remember the no stage? Hopefully it was only a stage. And the no stage is a horrible stage. You didn't have to be taught those things. Mom and dad didn't have to drag you down to the community college for lying 101. Okay? That all came naturally through your deceitful human heart. Jesus said that evil doesn't work its way from the outside in. It works its way from the inside out. He said this in Mark 7, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, pride, foolishness. It all comes from within. Now, we make excuses and we say that it comes from without. Well, I was in a bad situation and she did this and he said this and there was a billboard that had this, and, and then I did this, and uh, look, it all comes from within, okay? The first deceit is the deceit of self. And uh, you and I were born with the sinful nature of our first ancestors. And then on top of that, we have willfully chosen to sin. You knew it was wrong to say it, but you said it anyway. You knew it would hurt the other person, but you did it anyway. You knew it was against God's word, but you crossed that boundary. That's called sin. And because of sin, we need redemption. We're not just mistakers, we're sinners. You don't need to turn over a new, light, a new leaf. You need new life in Christ. You need redemption. And 
Anna prophesied something on that day in the temple that Jesus would later confirm. He is the only way to redemption. Simeon and Anna recognized baby Jesus as the Messiah and instantly worshiped him. They didn't rely on yesterday's faith. They'd had faith for a long time. They didn't put off their worship for later. They were present in worship. Now, in this last service of the year, as we go into a new year, we have a new opportunity to be present in worship. We have been given a comprehensive record, full proof that Jesus is Messiah. But if we don't center our lives on him, if we don't worship him right now, what good is it for Messiah to have come as God with us? Our worship has to be in real time, and it has to be authentic. And I'm praying that you'll go into 2022 with a plan for personal worship, a plan for personal worship. When you don't plan, when you don't approach your spiritual walk with purpose, things don't ever move forward. They fizzle out in a day or two. And I know there are a lot of people who say, well, I just opened my Bible and asked God to show me what to read that day. And that sounds great, but for some reason, it very rarely produces a strong walk with God. It's so haphazard. It's almost like this accidental, like, you know what? God blessed me today. And Judas went and hanged himself. That doesn't sound like a blessing, right? Uh, you don't just open to any scripture. Have some type of a plan. And uh, most of us need a plan, to be quite honest. I know I do. There are hundreds of plans available and all sorts of apps like YouVersion, uh, which is the one I use. Yeah, there are topical plans. There are interactive plans. There are New Testament plans, whole Bible plans. There's even a Bible in 90 days plan. You can watch awesome videos that explain books of the Bible. Uh, you can have the Bible read aloud to you if you struggle with reading. Uh, but having a plan is the first step to getting into God's purpose for your life. And if you've never read the Bible before, you might want to start with the book of John. Uh, the Gospel of John is a great introduction to who Jesus is and what Jesus did to save us from sins. But not only getting in God's Word, you should also have a plan for prayer. Uh, I know the Scripture says pray without ceasing, and, and you should always be in an attitude of prayer. Uh, but there should be a purposeful time when you come before God each day. And if you have trouble with focus, uh, which, which many of us do, we just have a tough time with focus and prayer, like we're in, in depth and we're praying, God, I really pray that you'll be with this family and be with the needs that are going on. And did I pay the electric bill? Right? And you're praying, you know, or as my brother-in-law says, sometimes you pray with your feet pointed toward heaven. That means you fall asleep, right? Now, the worst thing time to pray is in bed when you're on your back about to fall asleep because you will fall asleep. It's not a bad way to fall asleep, but you will fall asleep. And, and so uh, to get some focus back in your prayer life, you may want to try this short term. And uh, I actually did this for many years uh, because I was struggling with focus. And so every day, I just get a fresh sheet of paper, 
and I would write on the paper, A-C-T-S, just like that, just all spread out, the A up here, then the C, then the T, then the S. And A is for adoration. <clears throat> o come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. We sang that this morning. Uh, C is for confession, repairing my heart to walk with God. Uh, T is for thanksgiving, enter to his gates with thanksgiving, enter to his courts with praise. S is for supplication, making requests to God for myself and especially for others. And, and then uh, I would just write under each letter, i just write a few sentences for that grouping. And then after I wrote down the sentences, then I'd just read it to God. And that'd be my prayer. And it actually would help me focus because I found this. It is impossible to write original sentences without being focused, right? Because your pen will literally like stop. If you start thinking about something else, you, it won't move anymore. You have to be thinking about it to write it. So uh, that worked for me until I kind of regained a habit and a focus, and I literally did that for years of my life. It's a simple plan, uh, but it works uh, because you have to think about what you're writing. Uh, some people have a, a notebook or a prayer journal or a typed-out list. Uh, right now, I use an app called Prayer Prompter prayer prompter. Uh, it has some items on there that are daily items. Uh, then it rotates through prayer promises and prayer quotes and lists for uh, people and families that I pray for, our, our small group, uh, our deacons and officers and their families, our staff members, our missionaries, our church families, our city, state, national leaders, etc. Yeah, and, and so use the tools that God has provided for you. And once again, uh, if you fail to plan on this, you're just planning to fail, right? It's not going to happen. And it, the worst thing about uh, having uh, a plan is that when you don't do it and you falter and you fail, that you think this stupid thought, well, I missed today. Might as well give up, right? How dumb is that? You don't do that with food, right? You know, oh, I missed breakfast. Well, I guess I better never eat breakfast again. Right? Well, I didn't have my coffee today. I guess I'm giving coffee up, right? You don't think about anything else in your life. I wonder if maybe, possibly, that that's one of Satan's lies. You think maybe it is. Because the most important thing that a Christian can possibly do is the hunger and thirst after God. And I wonder if the enemy doesn't want you to do that. And when you fall, he says, you might as well stay down. If you stayed down every time you fell, you'd never be up. Right? you got to get back up and, and move forward. Start a new streak. Uh, get going again and, and have a tool uh, and use one of the tools that God has provided for you uh, to have an authentic, real-time walk with Him. Here's what I find so often. If your Christianity isn't practical, then it may not really be a relationship with God. It might just be a religious tradition that you had in your family. 
It might just be a church you went to when you were a kid. If you don't walk and talk with Jesus every day, I'm not trying to cause you to doubt your salvation, but you need to see if you really have a relationship with him. You really need to evaluate if you have Jesus Christ in your life. Because those who have Jesus Christ in their life want to walk with him. And they will plan a way to walk with him. And I'm telling you, there is a, a smaller percentage of Christians who actually walk with God than there has ever been before, especially in the United States of America. And in churches like ours, we might think, oh, we're all believers and we love Jesus. But you know, fewer than 8% of church people that go to churches just like this one have a daily Bible reading and prayer life. Fewer than 8%. And there's a lot of people who won't look at me during this section when I preach this because you're one of them. And, it, and I'm not trying to be mean. I'm trying to be real. If you struggle with this, you can't grow as a believer. It's just not going to happen, right? It's like saying, you know what, I'm going to stay hydrated, but you never drink water. It's not going to happen. So I just saying, I'm going to really get some muscle this year, and then you don't do anything to get muscle. You've got to get in the Word. And I don't say this to be mean. I don't say this to condemn. I don't say this to judge. I say this because I love you. And I know that the only way you move forward as a believer is to get with God. Church isn't enough. Church is one hour on a Sunday morning. And if you come to other things in the week, maybe three or four hours a week. It's a tiny, tiny slice of your week. You need to walk with God every single day, not only because he's the way to redemption, but he's the path toward happiness, contentment, grace, and blessing. And we have that same privilege that Simeon and Anna had in real time today. In fact, we've even got more than they had. You know, Simeon and Anna both died when Jesus was an infant. John the Baptist died before Jesus ever went to the cross. We can look back at a risen Savior who has bought for us redemption through the purchase of his own blood on the cross. And, uh, and boy, what, what an opportunity we have uh, to be able to say, grace is alive and well in my life, and I'm going to adore Jesus Christ. Oh, come, let us adore him. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you that we could come this morning. And Lord, you love us so much that we can't even begin to express it. God, you love every person in this room so much that we can't even begin to think through it. Much more than we could love each other. You love children more than we as parents do. You love our spouse even more than we do. God, you love every person in here. And I know that you desire a relationship with us. Not so we can check a box, not so we can mark a whiteboard somewhere up in heaven. You desire a relationship with us because you know it is the only thing that brings real joy.
and lasting peace. And so I pray that we would yearn for you and follow you with our lives in real time with authentic hearts through these days. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.